You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. And welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how's it going tonight? No, it's going, Matt. It's going as surely as as it has ever gone. Question for you tonight. Let's let's talk about the news that's going to be 17 years old by the time that people hear this. You sent me the link. I'm a bad friend and a bad co-host because I didn't read it yet. But it's aspirational. I might read it. Tom King says, it ain't my fault Alfred's dead. What's this, your response? Well, this is something passed on from Patreon backer John Wickham, who had listened to the wedding episode and had read this interview with King a couple years back when he gave it. Ah, so so it's, it's not news, but it's news to us. Yes, because there are 8 million comic book news sites, all of who interview the same, like, six people. So you can't read every interview from every person. Apparently, Alfred's death was not intended to be permanent it was a fake out it was something bane and thomas wayne were doing and then when dc editorial abridged his run he's like well so what are we going to do about alfred and they're like well he's dead but he can't be dead he's alfred and they're like no no it's, it's good he's dead so wait not only was tom king not going to pay off the wedding but he was also going to kill off Alfred, but then wait a long ass time to bring him back. Well, no, when you think about it, if Alfred died in like 82, he would have been back within like a year and a half, but they cut the runoff right after the death. So it would have built to part of the, I guess, eventual end game would have been the return of Alfred, but DC editorials thought it would be better story-wise for him to stay dead yeah i hate everyone involved in all of those decisions (laughs) but i guess it does in some ways make more sense that alfred's death wasn't the center of those events because i think king was treating it as it's a it's like the death of superman superman died but everyone knew he was coming back but the the reason the death of superman became this giant story was because people outside the industry heard, oh, Superman's dying, and made a big to-do about it. Well, everyone who was reading comics regularly was like, yeah, it's Tuesday. That's what happens. Superheroes die and they come back. I just... Ugh. That's all I got for this, Matt. Ugh. If you're going to bring him back in, I don't know, 12 or 15 issues, don't do it. First of all, don't do it in the first place. Uh, And then second, if it's not going to be meaningful, and it hasn't been meaningful, don't fucking do it. Comic book writers in this current generation have gotten so little out of what they have tried to do. 
killing off Alfred being the best example. If it were the focus of a story, Alfred's death and how Bruce reacted to it, and then the resurrection and how that plays out for Bruce, there's a ton of story potential there. I don't think it in itself was a bad idea. It's the lack of any sort of payoff on it from anyone that is the problem. Same thing with Bruce losing all of his money. That hasn't been explored other than, oh, I got to go live in a brownstone. Like there have been there have been no consequences or developments from any of the major changes to the status quo. And that, as I was reading, someone else pointed out, I don't remember where, in the same way that Tony Stark has also lost a lot of his money, that is absolutely a response to current societal views on generational wealth. You don't want your heroes to be these guys who come from money, so you take away their money, but then you don't deal with the ramifications of them really having no money. It gets paid lip service to over in Jerry Duggan's Iron Man, but somehow Tony Stark is still finding ways to build armor, despite him having no money. And we still haven't gotten a good detective story, right? We still haven't gotten a oh shit, I have to go back to basics and I have to do things basically as I was doing them in year one. None of that. No. When we think about what has happened since Joker War, when he lost all his money, Fear State and the run-up to Fear State wasn't interested in that. The brief interim Williamson run wasn't interested in that. Zdarsky stuff isn't interested in that. I'm trying to remember... Not enough explosions. What was in between the Joker War stuff and Detective and Rom V's run? I don't remember, which doesn't... I mean, without... I could I could remember if I really sat back and thought about it, but I don't think it's worth it. But the Rom V run, that's not a factor in that run. That's not a, a story point. Bruce could have all his money. He could not. It's not impacting that particular story. We get hints of it in Batman and Robin now, and there were hints of it in the Mariko Tamaki run with Bruce having neighbors in the brownstone and all of that, getting a new cast around Bruce Wayne. That's what Bruce not having money should do. It should develop a new world around a Bruce Wayne who has to live in Gotham. Even if you weren't dealing with the year one aspects of it, you could get a cast for Bruce Wayne again. We got Deb. That was pretty fun. I love Deb. And now Deb is is not around. And again, I think a lot of that is that the Rom V run is a very specific, very self-contained thing, which is not a problem because, as I've said, favorite run on a bat title since Snyder, at least. Yeah. I think that run is brilliant. And it, it's only going to get better the more times we can reread it, and especially in trade. Yeah, and as we're you know nearing the end game, I can't wait to see how it all comes together because you can tell that there's there's a plan here. And I thought I had a question for you, and now it has gone completely out of my brain. So, womp womp. Yeah, maybe it'll come back to me. Maybe it'll come back to me next week. Who knows? But. A minute ago, when I was talking about Iron Man, I talked about Jerry Duggan. 
And we'll be talking about some more Jerry oh, Duggan tonight. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah, th- that, that just sort of worked out. That was not planned. Because tonight we are talking about three versions of the origin of Mr. Freeze. This is the, the modern origin of Freeze as originally created for Batman the Animated Series. Not his somewhat lackluster... I was a criminal scientist who inhaled some gas and became a man who couldn't survive outside the cold silver gold origin. That was just perfect silver age nonsense origin where you just need an excuse for this guy to have this gimmick. Back when he was Mr. Zero. And uh, at some point looked strikingly like Captain Cold. And, you know, we talk about the three Catwomans on Batman 66. There were three Mr. Freezes as well. Nobody remembers them as much as the three Catwomen. Partially because I think Catwoman was a much more memorable villain. Freeze was not a particularly memorable villain until the animated series. The thing he was best known for was a pretty neat armor design in the old Super Friends cartoon. That was it. He was the at least second, if not maybe third or fourth most interesting cold-themed villain in the DC universe before Batman the Animated Series. Yikes. Yeah, Captain Cold, definitely cooler, no pun intended. But there's also Killer Frost and Icicle. Freeze was better than Icicle. Icicle was his floppy elf hat. He looked like uh, Santa's elf or cold miser from the uh, year without a Santa Claus with like floppy hat and shoes that turned up in little points. Yeah, the, the original icicle was not a great look. Not a great look. I, I don't know at what point uh, Midway was brought into the Warner Brothers umbrella, but, you know, Sub-Zero. Yeah, yeah. It would be after Freeze became a, a more interesting character, but yeah, he, he would have been up there too. These are specifically origins starting at that period. And so we're starting with the story that brought that origin into the comics. This is the Batman Mr. Freeze one shot. The writer is Paul Dini with pencils by Mark Buckingham, inks by Wayne Foucher, colors by Linda Medley and Jameson, lettered by John Costanza. No editor is credited and the cover date is sometime in 1997. Mr. Freeze is on a crusade of vengeance through Gotham, and along the way, he is frozen Robin solid. Now, as Freeze thinks about how he reached this point, Batman must stop him to find the way to save his partner. If you would have told me that this was Deanie's very first comic, I would believe you. It's not his very first. It is, I believe, his first outside of the animated series structure at least his first batman comic outside the animated series structure because mad love predates this the holiday special predates this a few of the other adventures things this is his first non-adventures batman story this thing's kind of a mess so this was one of four one shots that were released to tie into batman and robin there was this one a poison ivy a bane and a batgirl one shot i have little recollection of most of them i know the bane one follows up on bane's previous appearance which was in the legacy crossover 
the Batgirl one was a first meeting of Batgirl and the Joker, I think. And the Ivy one, I remember having nice art, but that's about it. These were not terribly memorable. And I wonder how rushed they were to make sure they got out in time to tie into the movie. You can sense that there wasn't a lot of, I don't know, editorial oversight or editorial process that went into this because at some point the art just feels like it loses touch with the story that the story itself is not particularly strong like this is some of Dini's weakest writing that I've I have read and you know how much I love Paul Dini you love him so much that I actually in our pre-show discussion on the slack asked if you have finally reached the point where you hate Dini more than you hate Sean Gordon Murphy so and and as I said, Sean Gordon Murphy is a jello brain dum dum. Dini just has I don't know issues, and he doesn't even like develop enough of the Nora freeze relationship here for those issues to arise. Like Nora's on the page for I don't know literally a page uh, before she is literally fridged. But I guess that that's. Kind of the original sin of the character as, you know, she just goes in the ice to give him some motivation. Right. This is not a direct adaptation of Heart of Ice. No, not in any shape. Because Heart of Ice is one of the best episodes of Batman the Animated Series. And it gives Freeze legitimate pathos because he is not at any point in that story a mustache-twirling villain. He has a goal, which is revenge against the people who very specifically wronged him. He is not killing random people. He is not pontificating about his hatred. There's a lot of, I am cold and feel no emotion. But there isn't this evil that comes off of him in this story. This being some kind of connection to Batman and Robin reading, it makes more sense now because there is just a scene of freeze just basically going through Gotham. We don't know where in Gotham. He's just somewhere in Gotham freezing everybody. He comes across and just moralizing about it. Oh, you were willing to give up your partner. And let them freeze. You were willing to uh, steal money and now you are frozen. Ha 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 ha. We will definitely have, in the same way we talk about with Elseworlds and the different versions of the Batman costume, we're going to have to spend time talking about the different freeze costumes because I do not think there is a single Batman villain who has more varied looks than Mr. Freeze. And certainly there are different interpretations as to his like strength and viciousness even. But I just I did not care for this one. I thought this was the the weakest of the night, had so little to say about the character. I quit on this very early. Uh, when we get childhood flashbacks of him in boarding school and it quickly goes from, oh, I freeze bugs because I think they're pretty and I want them to stay pretty to, you know, I'm trying to freeze my pet hamster or rat or whatever that was. That moment is when he stops being the sympathetic freeze of the animated series. And it's a clear 
conscious decision because he's been freezing bugs, as you said, because he wants them to stay preserved and beautiful. Weird, but not outside the behavior of a normal kind of off-kilter kid. But then his parents are complete monsters. Let's let's not overlook that. Like he's given monster parents who are, you know, oh, he's a freak. And, you know, his father's smacking him around. Talking not subtle there. No. But then he's talking to the rat. And there's one panel where he's looking at it lovingly. And then the next panel, he's in the same position, but he has this like sinister smile. Oh, he completely knows what he's doing. The thing with the rat isn't about preserving the rat. The thing with the rat is that he wants to freeze it. And at that point, it's like, oh, he was disturbed to begin with. And maybe Nora slowed his descent into madness, but he was clearly on his way there to begin with. This isn't a one bad day scenario. All not the what we'll be no. talking about later, but the the concept of one bad day. All three of these stories are not the animated series freeze. All three of them are Victor Freeze was always a monster in some shape or form. Yes. And that we've talked repeatedly about how when it comes to say the Joker, I don't want the origin. I don't care why he's the Joker. He's the Joker. And some villains like Penguin and Riddler, I don't need their tragedy. They're assholes. They're monsters. They're bad people. And sometimes bad people are just bad people. Two-Face needs that divide. No pun intended again. Oh, He needs that that pathos, that, that drama that origin to build him as does killer croc yes and i think there's a reason why heart of ice is the best mr free story of all time it is a beautiful tragic heartbreaking story i think if it could have been flushed out to be an hour-long episode where we had gotten to know nora a little better and nora had actively consented to the process it would add an additional layer to that tragedy, but it would still be a tragedy. All three of these origins make it clear that this is in many ways a tragedy in Victor's head more than the real world. And at least one of the stories in, in, that we'll talk about uh, and that we've we've read before, it just gets so muddled, right? It can't decide. Is Freeze a tragic villain? Is he just a villain? And I, I think with this guy, you really got to pick a side, right? Is he an uninteresting monster or, you know, is he heart of ice? And it's so hard to land somewhere in the middle. And when you're in the middle, you're just kind of lukewarm. And it's not, it's not an interesting character. We've had writers over the years try to make him more of a tragic character in the comics. But... I often think with many lesser writers, it comes down to, I'm still writing a comic book, so he's still got to be badass too. And there's the problem. You can't make him both tragic and pining for his, his lost love 
and killing people arbitrarily. Harvey gets to pull that off, one, because of the coin, because of the, the fate aspect, and because Harvey is split. He's broken. You've got the idea that there is a good Harvey and a bad Harvey, and they're at war. With Freeze, if he isn't at war with himself, if he really is just using Nora's death as his excuse to lash out at the world, that can be an interesting character, but it has to be explored in that way. It can't be explored in the, oh, don't you feel bad for him? As he, you know, freezes somebody's arm and breaks it off because they pissed him off. The weirdest thing in this story is one that it's not told sequentially. Like we have, we have a cold open Batman's in the Batcave. He's tinkering with some gadget and Oh, there's frozen Robin, which doesn't really look all that much like Robin. I was very confused upon first reading and that, is that like a, a a little butler or something in the ice? Is it some kind of kid in formal costume? Like, I don't understand. But not only do we not get a lot of Nora, but we don't even get a lot of the scene where, you know, they're, they're battling it out and then the tragedy strikes and Nora's capsule is destroyed. The bulk of the story is this confrontation 10 years later. So we don't see the inciting hatred between Freeze and Batman. It's just, again, just one more reason why this just feels like a story that's all over the place to me. And this is the only origin, whether it's Heart of Ice or the other ones we'll read tonight, where Nora dies. And I don't know entirely why, other than to allow Freeze to transfer his hatred from Gothcorp onto Batman. And it confuses me in a lot of ways because Deanie didn't do that in Heart of Ice. He doesn't do that in the Arkham games where he writes Freeze. I don't entirely know why in this story. And it's not like it's that way in Batman and Robin. So it's not even tying into the material, the outside material. It is even more of a fridging than the normal or the previous or future versions of this story. There's no reason, I guess, except to be like, okay, from now on, the thing he hates most is Batman. I guess that's the reason for it, but that makes him, again, a less interesting character because every one of these villains hates Batman. Him doing this for love, not for hatred, makes him a more interesting less rote Batman villain. In many ways, I, I think the ideal version of the character, and I had this thought as I was driving to work today, is uh, Darkman, right? A, a, a scientist who is tragically disfigured, uh, and then yet at the same time given this ability. But then what do you do when you get these powers, right? And the most interesting version of the character is still in many ways, working for good. If Freeze is truly working to save Nora, uh, you know, he's not knocking over banks. Like he might be stealing from Wayne Corp or Lex Corp or whatever, but it is still for that goal of, you know, saving Nora. Assaulting random people doesn't really factor into that. If he's robbing a bank, it's because some black market technology is out there that he can't steal, so he has to buy it on the black market. 
So if he's robbing something, Batman's got to be like, this isn't his deal. Why is he doing this? Because you're right, he should be stealing tech. That's what he should be doing. His, his motivations are muddied by removing Nora from the equation and just making him this vengeance monster. And it's often said that the best Batman villains are somewhat broken mirrored versions of Batman himself. Removing Nora corrupts that aspect of Freeze as a broken mirror of Batman because Batman took his tragedy and reacts outward. He's trying to help others. Freeze's tragedy pulled everything inward. He's trying to save Nora, but is also, in doing that, is really trying to protect himself because he's broken. Having him then turn outward and just kill people, it corrupts the analogy. So here we see two Freeze armors. We see what is basically the Mignola design from Batman the Animated Series, still the greatest Mr. Freeze armor of all time, easily. It's the one in my sketchbook when I give the sketchbook to artists and tell them, draw whatever Batman character you want. Other than Batman and the Joker, I have gotten more Mr. Freezes, and they are nearly always in that Mignola-designed armor. The other armor is this big, clunky, giant helmet. He looks skeletal, sort of. Like, his face is hidden, sort of, in the armor. Yeah, it's it's more of a Dr. Phosphorus look than actually Freeze. And that design is from Batman 525. It was a Kelly Jones design. It looks good when Kelly Jones is drawing it. But that's one of these things where you see it with some artists when they design characters. That's a great design for that artist. But when somebody else tries to draw it, doesn't work as well. Everything Kelly Jones does is tinged with horror. So doing this sort of monstrous, bulky, skeletal thing works. But Buckingham isn't a horror artist. So I don't feel like the armor works in his style. And we're not given like any particularly good narrative reason for the two armors other than, okay, this was what was in the flashback. This is what it is now. Ta-da! The non-narrative reason is, well, this is the armor he's wearing in continuity now. And this is based on Heart of Ice. It's written by Paul Dini and probably Buckingham really likes that armor. So they're going to draw that one in the flashback just cause. Looking back over this, I am underselling how dumb it is, especially as Batman goes through the zoo and fights the polar bears and then the seal. This was a really, really tiresome read. I was getting ready for Shark Watch. I was somewhat disappointed that there was no Shark Watch in here. This is a very paint-by-numbers comic for something that should have been deeper than that. This reads exactly like we want to sort of bring in the origin from Batman the Animated Series, and we want to set it in the present, too. 
why you didn't do a year one, make the whole thing a 64 page year one set story that gives you the origin of Mr. Freeze. Adapt Heart of Ice into continuity. There you go. That would have been the way to, to make this work. The two narratives allow neither narrative to really have enough time to build to something emotionally resonant. And neither of them are particularly good. I think you give them more space and they're still not good. We spend so much time with school age Victor and modern day Victor is just moralizing and killing indiscriminately. And school age Victor, it's got to be an intentional nod to a Christmas carol. Him at the boarding school, not going home for the holidays. That's Ebenezer Scrooge. That's the whole flashback where the ghost of Christmas past takes Scrooge to his childhood days when he was left alone in the boarding school. I think we really were trying to do our best Kelly Jones work here. Oh, yeah. that The armor that was definitely attempting to look like Jones. It Oh, and then the Batman, too. It makes me want to go back and Buckingham did some of the latter right before Shadow of the Bat went into No Man's Land arcs. And I like Buckingham in general. I don't know. This is, is not his best work, which is, again, why I have a feeling like this might have been rushed to get it out to tie into the movie. Also, there's one moment in here that struck me as real just nonsense dumb ferris boyle the guy responsible for freeze's accident when he figures out that oh it's freeze freezing the various goth corp execs he goes into a warehouse where nora is unarmed without any guards screaming for victor to come out and face him he's killed how many people at this point why is this guy trying to confront a, a known killer with no security whatsoever? Big old dum-dum. Yeah, I mean, it's so Batman can come in and save the day, but from his reaction, it's not like he knew Batman was there. It's just one of those little story moments where it's like watching any bad detective movie where the detective goes to confront the killer and tell them that they have the evidence to send them up the river without calling for any kind of backup. A trope that bothers the hell out of me because it's nonsense. Oh, how did they, how did they handle that Manhunter? In the book, because have you read the book? Have you read Red Dragon? No, no. In the book, the, the killer comes to him. The killer confronts him in his house, in Will Graham's house. So there's, he doesn't have to worry about it. I think it that was and, and, that, of, and that's that's how it's done in the Ed Norton right uh, it, adaptation. Yes, it takes the ending directly from the book, but in those cases, it, it's also trying to save someone. There's an excuse there. Here, there's no excuse, and a lot of those stories, like oh, there's no excuse for why the guy is going to confront the killer. It's not like there's another victim on the line. That's when. I give it a pass because if there's another possible victim on the line, then yeah, you ha sometimes you have to just pull in a china chop through something. You got to smash through a window while Inagata DeVita is playing. Damn right. 
Oh, that's such a good movie. Watch Manhunter, people. Do yourself a favor. Look, turn off this podcast. If the podcast will be here with you, whatever you need to listen to it. If you're in a car, pull off the road, fire up Manhunter. It's spectacular. But since we're in Manhunter talk, <laughs> that means it's time to put Batman Mr. Freeze on the big board. We are at. 369 stories on the big board. Nice. <laughs> Number one is the post-crisis origin of Batman, Batman Year One. Number 50 is Gothic, a romance, Grant Morrison and Klaus Janssen's story from Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 6 to 10. Coming in at 69, it's JLA Prometheus. At 100 is Made of Wood. Ed Brubaker, Batman, Golden Age Green Lantern team up. 150 is On the Outside, the Brian Edward Hill story that introduced the Rebirth Outsiders. 200 is The Mud Pack, the Clayfaces team up. 250 is Shadowbox, the sequel to the first Robin miniseries. 300 is A Clash of Symbols, a Grant Brayfogle Joker story. And all the way at the bottom, Curse of the White Knight. Still god-awful garbage. I do not want to put this above 300, but I could I could be argued uh, no. 290s. No, I prefer a Clash of Symbols. I'm much I was much higher on a Clash of Symbols than you were to begin with. I feel like Clash of Symbols deserves to be a bit higher. But it is definitely not better than that. All right. But how does it stand against that two-parter with Anarchy and Joe Potato at 306? Mm, I love Joe Potato. I hate Anarchy. It's tough. It's not better than 303, which is another Dini, the uh, Etrigan Rachel Ghoul animated series Adventures Annual. So I, th- I think this story gets close but it never quite insults my intelligence like a lot of these stories down in the 300s. And it's never a complete and total mess. Like it gets close to being a complete and total mess, but it is between just a story that doesn't work and is not good and a total failure, God awful piece of garbage. It is closer to just something that just doesn't work and is not particularly good. So, yeah, I I think you're probably right in that we're somewhere between 300 and 310. Doesn't have anything particularly problematic. I think if you give Dini three more pages of Nora, he'll find himself there. Probably wanted to do a self-insert somewhere, but, you know, didn't quite have the space. I'm I'm thinking right at the bottom of that range. I'm thinking 309. I still think it's better than that animated brave and the bold story where batman becomes president but i like batmite's new york adventure more i mean that is a a gigantic trifle yeah but it's an enjoyable gigantic trifle which i think puts it above this yeah new 310 new 310 our second story of the night is first snow this is batman volume two annual number one 
The writers are Scott Snyder and James Tiny in the fourth, with art by Jason Faybook, colors by Peter Steigerwald, letters by Sal Cipriano, and edited by Mike Martz and Katie Kubert. The cover date is July of 2012. As the Night of Owls tears through Gotham, Mr. Freeze has escaped Arkham. He wants two things, revenge on the people who have wronged him and to finally revive his wife, Nora, with the formula he perfected for the Court of Owls. But what is the dark secret that this Freeze harbors? I want to start right here with the discussion of the Freeze armor here, because I hate this Freeze look. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's just dumb. Tank top armor makes no sense. The whole point is that he has to be enclosed to keep from boiling. Why are his arms exposed? Why does he have a mohawk? It is such a new 52 design. And it, that's, I mean, that is the problem with so much of the new 52 is that these designs are meant to be shocking and different and often they just don't work. And this look does not work for me. And it somewhat poisons the story for me because I just can't get over how dumb that look is. Thus endeth my rant. And as another hallmark of the new 52, everybody's got to be young. Everybody's got to be vibrant and youthful. This freeze is about 35, 35 to 40, give or take. Yeah. Which seems yeah. too young for me. Yeah. I feel like the, the freeze of Heart of Ice sadly resembles me in my receding hairline. And the freeze of the next story, both he and Nora look to be a little bit older there should be enough time in that freeze nor relationship to fall in love and this one of course adds a twist that we will get into at some point i know yes and it's a twist that i wrestle with every time i think about this story because it's a neat twist but i don't know how much it works for the character, for a lot of the reasons we were talking about in the last story. Yeah. I read this years ago, and I think I was much higher the first time I read it. Because the twist, if you if all you know about Freeze is Heart of Ice, the twist here is very shocking. Very shocking. And I didn't remember the bookends to this story. And I do not care for them at all. Yes, the flashback. Yeah. We don't have to dance around this. Again, this is a 12-year-old comic. If you haven't read it, pause the episode now and go and read Batman Volume 2 Annual 1. Finish Manhunter and then read the story. So the, the bookend twist and the Nora twist. We'll start with the, the Nora twist. The Nora twist is that basically Nora isn't his wife. He is just an obsessed, mentally unstable man who found out about the case of Nora, who was one of the first people to be put in a cryogenic freeze in the 1940s, researched her case, started working at Wayne to get access to her, and fell in love with someone he has never met. And by fell in love, I mean became obsessed with. And 
it's weird having Bruce in this story, like checking on Freeze, like coming down to the lab, like, hey, how's it going? What you up to? Hey, we're going to need you to cut this out. Like we're, we're getting uncomfortable with this research. Those parts were weird, but it makes sense in the entire context of that twist. So that was a little squirrely, but it does make sense when you pull back and get to the ends. Like, oh, okay. So Bruce knew what was going on and he was a little bit disturbed at watching this obsession grow. This freeze is 100% a villain. Oh, absolutely. Because he's, uh, what's his face? John Hinckley. Obsessed yeah, yeah. with Jodie Foster. Only he's, this is a guy obsessed with Nora Freeze. Someone who's, he's never met, who he's never, or Nora, whatever her real last name was. He He's never met her. He has no actual connection with her. He's just obsessed. So there's nothing tragic about this Mr. Freeze. Aside from just the basic insanity. Right. The, the general. But tragedy. this story doesn't get into that at all. No, he's fairly monstrous because, again, he's just killing people. His escape from Arkham is brutal. He kills a doctor and half a dozen guards to get his stupid armor. Because the psychiatrist interviewing him had an alcoholic crayon and he was able to hack into his cell with the crayon. I think it was something a little more complicated than that, but I couldn't explain how it worked. It had something to do with, you know, using it to, yeah, I, I don't know. If this were a different, if this were a new villain, if this were a new character, it's actually a pretty decent origin, that obsession with someone who they've never known. Oh, and it, as an academic. I completely appreciate getting obsessed with your research. That's a fun twist. And what Bruce says about this is him basically taking the fetishization of ice, that the cold and the ice and the thing that he's been obsessed with that has been the obsession of his work and transferring it onto a person, fetishizing the ice through Nora, is a really cool idea. I feel bad using cool in this episode, but it is one of those words I just use. You fix it in post. Yeah, but it makes this character not Mr. Freeze. Yeah. Or at least not the Freeze that we've come to understand from Heart of Ice onward. We'll get into it in the next story, but while the next story, well, it doesn't commit as much, the idea of... The fine middle ground that it could have tread if it embraced this point in between this story and Heart of Ice would make for a really the most interesting permutation outside of a fully tragic Mr. Freeze. But I don't think it spends enough time investigating that. No, no. Like what drove his delusions? How does he envision Nora like more of the unreliable narrator aspect of what this character could be you definitely could have gone there and yeah I, I just I feel like this doesn't go far enough into his delusion and the next one doesn't go far enough into his obsession yes the third one is just to me the problem is it can't decide 
is is this truly a bad guy or is this a guy who just made mistakes in a relationship and is continuing to hold on to a relationship that has gone right and i think if you made it the latter it makes him almost as tragic as a fully tragic freeze but his we'll get there we'll get there because i like so much of that last story until you get to the very end and it's like one line one line if you cut that one line out you can read what you want into the story yes but with that one line he's an abusive asshole yeah and he always was right but we'll we'll get there in a 10 minutes talk about them bookends i think the bookends work i don't think i like them and how they in what story they're telling but i think they work as you think you only know uh heart of ice right you think freeze is a tragic character oh what surprise he's always been a psychopath haha right this is oh in the same way that in the last one it's like oh he has that moment where he kills the or tries to freeze the rat and it's clear that he was a little psychopath here the the inciting incident of all of his fetishization of ice is his mother having an accident where she fell through ice into a lake but she wound up living but was i assume the fact that he's pushing her in a wheelchair what i felt like was a year maybe two later that she was suffered probably neurological damage from the intense cold and so at the end it gets to the point where he can't deal with having her that way so he just drops her back into the drink and kills her in the same way so i feel like you could have done a thing about the perfection that nora in the ice is perfect that the ice freezes things it perfects things that his mother to him before the accident was perfect and now that she is broken, he can't take it anymore. So he has to just kill her. Exactly. I can, I can put her back into the ice and remember her as I choose to and ignore all of the, the post-accident deficiencies. What was the thing you were saying right before that? Because I had a point. Um, About the rat, about before... Dang it. Oh, 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 there we go. There we go. Came back. Thank God. One of the biggest problems in, and I've probably made this point on the show before, I'll make it again. One of the biggest problems in wrestling storytelling is the inclination to do a swerve, which is just a shocking moment that surprises the audience, right? That just is, a, is just a cheap surprise that doesn't make context within the larger sense of the story. And sometimes we have to have a double swerve in a segment that, oh, oh, this was setting up for a surprise, but then it wasn't actually a surprise. And then there was another surprise, right? To me, both the bookends and the ultimate decision to have Freeze as just this obsessed character read more like swerves, right? They are just, they're just shocks for the sake of shocking the reader. They're just surprises for the sake of surprising the reader. And don't really lend themselves to any other larger story. I think you're speaking about something that is a problem with a lot of the New 52 in general. Again, this idea that this was new and it was edgy. I 100% agree on Freeze murdering his mother. 
110% agree that that was there just to give this like, oh shit, he was crazy even when he was a kid moment. I think that the he was obsessed with Nora thing. There's more story potential there. Oh, yes. Because I think there's no story potential with Freeze killed his mother. There's nothing to do with that other than it establishes that he was crazy even as a early teen. I don't necessarily know if Snyder and Tiny knew what they would do with the Nora isn't really his wife twist. But at least if that to me feels like we are putting a hook here for a future story, whether it's us or somebody else who will do it, I can accept that a little more because I feel like there was potential there. One other thing that makes this story suffer a little bit, it's so very heavily tied into Nine of the Owls. You can't yeah. read this independently because there are so many references to that. They keep talking about the Court of Owls, but and then the Court of Owls never shows up. And that in itself, it it felt like itchy and scratchy going to the fireworks factory. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? They keep talking about the Court of Owls and Freeze wanting his revenge on the Court of Owls. And then he never does anything with the Court of Owls. He goes nope. after Bruce Wayne. You could have done this annual a couple months later after the Court of Owls, especially making it happen on the Night of the Owls. You could have done it a couple months later. Yeah, you could have made a reference to him, his involvement with the court. But it's such a heavy part of this story. We also see that, I guess, the reason why he has the stupid tank top armor is because this Mr. Freeze's touch freezes things, which was an idea that was used once during the Underworld Unleashed crossover, and they quickly got rid of it because if he's able to do that, then he doesn't have to wear the armor. And, bit overpowered there. Yes, it makes him, one, it makes him overpowered, and two, it removes the visual. And that's the other problem with this armor. It's not an, as interesting a visual as him in that big refrigerated armor that he can't interact with the world around him outside of being covered head to toe is part of the, that's been integral to the character from day one. And yes, while the New 52 was trying to reimagine things, it just, it removes part of what makes him inherently Mr. Freeze. Well, I think that's all I got. Oh, uh, that means it's time for Batman Annual number one for snow on the big board. This is, this is up from the last one. I think both of the final the final two stories are gonna be at about the same place they they make interesting choices but they ultimately don't go anywhere and they have flaws and they don't really commit to those choices i mean um, I, i'm going i've been going back and forth on which of them was the one i thought was better yeah. and i'm again i think the other one without that one line would almost definitely be the better of the two but that one line takes so much away from that story. Yeah. But here, okay, let's let's look at something. So, all right, we're getting out of the ridiculously high areas where, you know, Snyder stuff up in the, you know, top 20 area. 
top 25. It's not clearly not there. I don't think it's even up at 109, my own worst enemy. So Gates of uh, Gates of Gotham at 167. This is more interesting than that. I don't know if it's better. Gates of Gotham was one issue too long. If Gates of Gotham had been a little more compact, and if it had focused more on the Waynes, Cobblepots, and Canes, and less on the Gates family, I think it, I would have enjoyed it more. But I don't, I don't think this is better than that. I think there's, all right, super heavy at one ninety. How many times have we had the discussion about super heavy, Matt? <laughs> Dumb, interminably stupid, and long story. But man, it's got that good. It's got that one good issue. Okay. You get that at 190. Then you get zero year at 212. And then we jump all the way down to Grim Knight and Gotham at 297. This is better than Grim Knight and Gotham. Yes. It's better than 224, The Brave and the Mole. Yes. So I'm thinking it's probably in the two teens. I don't, it's not better than Blades, and it's not better than Clown at Midnight at 2.13 and 2.14. But I feel like both of those are ones that are potential re-ranks. So I feel a little leery of putting anything, comparing, saying that they're better. Because I think both of those need to move up the list somewhat. I, I think this is more remarkable than Injustice at 2.15. Then maybe that's where it goes. Maybe it's the All new right. 2.15. And our final story of the night is The Darkest Winter. This is Batman, One Bad Day, Mr. Freeze, number one. The writer is Jerry Duggan, with art by Matteo Scalera, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Deron Bennett, and edited by Jessica Barbie, Dave Wilgus, and Ben Abernathy. The cover date is January of 2023. At the urging of Robin, Batman gives Mr. Freeze another chance a chance to save Nora and make some good in the world. As Freeze works, more and more of his past comes to light, and the one bad day that changed everything for him might be something he can't escape. So right out of the gate, we were talking about it and sort of dancing around it before, but let's talk about Freeze's relationship with Nora and the way it's changed and the way that that one line at the end of the story completely screws the pooch on this version of Freeze. Because up until the end, the idea that Freeze and Nora had a loving relationship, but that he started to remove himself from the world and wanted her to remove herself from the world. And she wanted to live her life. And that their relationship was starting to fragment when she got sick. And that he chose to freeze her, even against her will, because he couldn't let her go. Is a really, really engaging take on this character. And a really fascinating way to look at grief, both at the grief of a, a relationship that is dying and of a partner who is dying. But where that whole story falls apart is when you make him an asshole. Yes. Right? Not an asshole who is trying to, or someone who has become an asshole through grief, 
but someone who is an asshole for the the whole time. So where this thing goes off the rails, and this is where Freeze is in a fight uh, with Robin. Since you asked, you know what I enjoy about our relationship today, talking about Nora being frozen? We don't fight anymore. She's not out spending my money, and I don't sit alone in an empty house wondering who she's out with or when she'll be home. All, period, the, period, time, period. That's the language of an abuser. Yes. Full stop. Yes. You just, you can't use those lines because he, yeah, he's completely an abusive obsessive at that point. I can even take him disregarding her living will as him being obsessed. It's not good. It's wrong. Full stop wrong. But you can look at someone who would do that and be like, he just can't let go. The grief is too much. And right, we have seen that happen with cases in the public eye. That's the whole Terry Schiavo story, right? We have parents who can't accept that their daughter is gone. We have a husband, presumably, right? God knows that story gets complicated depending on who you listen to. You have a husband who is trying to do the right thing and... You could have explored that here. And like we have we have the random friend who Batman goes to visit and we see that great little exchange like Batman is operating under the the impression. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a shame that cancer took her so young. And then the friend's like, no, it's a shame that, you know, she got turned into a popsicle. But recasting the whole relationship as him being an abusive asshole just takes all of the weight out of that story. And it especially makes his redemption at the end so fucking confusing. Victor Freeze is either a grieving widower or he is a monster. You gotta pick one of those. You gotta. And he can be a grieving widower who did shitty things because of grief. Exactly. The shitty things because of grief don't make him a monster. They just make him someone who is broken and who did bad things. Good people can do bad things in the same way bad people can do good things. But he's clearly, by that one line with Robin, is a bad person. He is an abusive monster. And it's you see throughout with the flashbacks, Nora wanted him to come out. It's not like she was going out behind his back. She asks him over and over again, you should come out with me. I do not wish to spend time with your friends. They were our friends once. He is breaking even before she has been truly diagnosed. That first scene where that exchange happens, she's got a cough and he's just saying you should go and have that looked at. So she clearly has not been diagnosed with the cancer at that point. This story tries to have its cake and eat it too, where he's both a monster and the grieving husband. And it's like, no, the minute he has that, says that one thing to Robin at the end and becomes an abuser, you don't have any sympathy for him anymore. And the flashbacks don't particularly make any sense. The flashbacks are largely a once loving or loving relationship that is just starting to fail, right? Yes. It's not Nora actively being abused. 
No, he's not locking her up at that point. He doesn't want to exist in a world that is more than him and Nora. And again, it, it makes that bit at the end weirder. The one panel you get of him when Batman is talking to Nora's old friend, where Freeze says to them, you know, when Nora's friends come, she doesn't need you anymore. And he shuts the door on them. That's where you start getting the hints that he is keeping people from her. And it would have been nice if we had seen a few scenes of them when they were younger and more in love, before it went bad, to create a contrast. And a story, a fuller story, a fuller picture. So you can build that sympathy. It feels like it wants you to just take Bruce's recounting of the basic Freeze origin and your own understanding of who Mr. Freeze is to give you that sympathy. And it doesn't go out of its way to build it in the story. No. And that is a sin of superhero serialized storytelling is that sometimes stories are there that are just, okay, we know you know this, so we're not going to show you this scene. But when the story is about this relationship, we do need that here. We can put the pearls in every single story, though. Oh, the pearls. And then, I think we talked about this when we talked about this book for the column. But when Batman and Robin first confront Freeze, he has this henchwoman, Frostbite, who is there just because her ex is the one who tells Matches Malone how to find Freeze. Was good to see Matches. Quality Matches content. And especially loved Alfred dressing Matches. That was some good shit. And by the way, boy, Mateo Sclera draws a thick Batman. Oh, yeah. Matches Malone, when you see, he doesn't have a neck. He's just got this like stump of a neck on his like broad shoulders. Thick neck. Yeah. Frostbite is there and she's almost panting as Freeze is using his Freeze gun. Then when Batman offers him a chance to save Nora, he dismisses her and she's gone. See ya. Why did we need that there? I thought they were there was going to be something done with that character especially for a story that's about corrupted passion. Wouldn't it have been interesting to have her as obsessed with Freeze as Freeze is with Nora? That would be interesting. It just would have been something for the character to be there other than just as a a plot device and a, a way to move the plot along. It is a very pretty book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Scalera does a great great job with how this book looks and again in this story he does seem to have the ability to project cold frostbite removes his gloves so he can touch the armored car and it freezes and it's not his thing that's again killer frost freezes things with a touch he just physically can't be outside the suit because the any temperature above freezing 
makes him his body boil. So this story is an early year story. This is year three or four because Dick is Robin and it's the first time Dick is encountering Freeze. And it's adorable. It is. At the beginning of this story, Batman talks about how many of these people they fight are irredeemable. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I generally think Batman believes most people are redeemable in the end. I think there's one very notable exception to that. And that character does not appear in this story. But I almost give it a pass because I feel like we're early in the Batman and Robin partnership. And that might be something that has had to grow back for Bruce. That he, at this point, is still recovering some of that hope that he might have lost. That he is now moving more out of the vengeance mode that he would have been in as a small child and into a more justice Batman. It's the only way I can reconcile him saying a lot about having someone they need to be just thrown into a pit and locked up forever that was a serial killer targeting families yeah and he and that's hitting a very specific bad note for batman uh, but he he says i don't really know when asked you know are all criminals irredeemable so there there is doubt and the point of the story is specifically oh i think freeze can be redeemed Yes. And yeah. I don't think Jerry Duggan knows if Freeze can be redeemed or not. Duggan is a very... I'm trying to think of the right word for this. Duggan is an all-over-the-map writer. Tony Thornley and I have been covering Duggan's run on X-Men for our X-Chat column. And Duggan is really all over the map. Sometimes he can produce some really really good really strong superhero comics and sometimes his stuff is rushed and sometimes his stuff has humor in it that doesn't need to be there this book gets cute in a couple of places with some of the humor it works great when it's alfred i think his dry witted alfred is great but He's done a couple of other issues of Batman, like fill-in issues during the Snyder era. But he has not written a ton of Batman. He hasn't done a ton of DC work in general. He's mostly a Marvel writer. The continued bits about uh, Robin driving the Batmobile, I just, they, they, weren't, they weren't all that clever to me. But overall, I, I think the, the humor... And the especially the matches. Oh my god, oh, matches that all that stuff works. I want to hear tone deaf matches Malone singing Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah, you just yeah. get the first line. It's like I just I want to hear Batman in his Jersey matches Malone accent singing Fairy Tale of New York. I desperately wish we could have gotten an episode of Batman the animated series where they use matches Malone just so I could have heard how Kevin Conroy would have done a matches Malone. Oh, man. 
you're just gonna make me sad now. Oh, that was what I wanted to talk about in the cold open. Oh, Bruce Tim went on the record today saying that all these rumors about Kevin Conroy having recorded Batman for Cape Crusader are BS. Well, I, yeah, I, I assume they were. Yeah, I don't know who would believe that. The the timeline just doesn't line up. Animation is can be recorded so early. He apparently did record the animated, the three-part animated Crisis on Infinite Earths direct-to-streaming Blu-ray movies. You will see different versions of different animated characters from over the years. And the rumor is that Conroy did record a few lines for that before his passing. I'm not 100% sure how much I believe that either at this point. But yeah, Bruce Tim was like, yeah, no, there's, we, we didn't record. We'd hoped to have Kevin do some work on that show, but nothing was recorded before his passing. Yeah, I loved Alfred sprinkling Bruce with booze to have matches reek of cheap liquor and using a cryogenically frozen Starro drone as the tree topper in the Batcave. In the final, it's not quite a full splash, but the final image of Bruce and Dick and Alfred and Ace in front of the fireplace and the Christmas tree at the end is real nice. Absolutely beautiful. Then there's that weird coda where Freeze told Robin about a breakthrough he made and Robin has Lucius release it open source to allow the deep freezing of vaccines to be shipped around the world. And Freeze has this moment of joy and laughs and makes a snow angel and hears Nora telling him that he needs to make the world a better place. And it just, I might be disregarding the true complexity of human beings, but the guy who's happy that his wife is frozen because she doesn't argue with him anymore doesn't seem like the guy who is, oh, she'd be happy about this. Now I can feel joy again. Yeah, it's 100% unearned. And again, if that one line wasn't there, I could better accept that. Oh, fun Easter egg freezes HQ at the end is a decommissioned ship, which is right out of Arkham Knight. I remember stalking around that ship and trying to find a way onto it from ice flows in Arkham Knight. This starts with Freeze in the Mignola armor and then moves into this like really sleek black and blue armor that looks pretty nice. Batman gets some kind of heat suit just because I think it looked cool. Yeah, that and in the previous one, Batman does wear like heat brass knuckles when fighting Freeze at Wayne Enterprises in the annual too. I don't know if I have anything else. I think I'm good. So that means it's time for Batman One Bad Day, Mr. Freeze on the big board.
215 is where we put first snow. Is this better or worse? Gut says worse. But it's not leaps and bounds worse. Up and again, up until five pages from the end, I would have said this is better. Mm-hmm. But then it just takes a really sour twist. And, and it's, it's such an unforced error. Yeah. Because it just doesn't feel like it needed to go that way. And it it could have been just left ambiguous. Because before that, you know, the, the interaction with the friend, how kind of closed off he was. Yeah, he could have been a bad guy all along. Or maybe he was just a broken guy. But you don't know until that moment when it's like, oh, let's just make it clear to everyone that he's a bad guy. And yeah, that, he might as well have kicked a puppy on the page. Right. You might as well have had the scene of him drugging her as she's telling him, you know, I just want to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, someday there's an all one of the DC for teens graphic novels called Victor and Nora. That is sort of a teen romance with them. And it explores similar paths where she wants to live out her life and he can't let her go interesting to put that in a in a teen book huh okay i read it before this so i they rhymed in my head it's very fault in our stars so that is the kind of that that is a theme that pops up in ya literature but we'll get to that someday when we do some of that YA stuff. Not for all ages Thanksgiving. That's that this isn't this all ages. This is this is YA. But okay. So if we're putting this below first snow, I still think it's above Brave in the Mold. Uh yeah, that's a 225. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. And I'd certainly agree with above Heart of Hush at 222. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a number. 220. All right. 220. Yeah, uh, below Mayor Mayhem, which I think is more fun, but above Double Talk, the first appearance of that new ventriloquist, which would have been better if it had been Matches Malone and not Hook Hand, Lefty Hook Hand. And better without Puppet Fucking. Yes, most things it, would be. Yeah, anything's better without Puppet Fucking. This does not speak well to where the the one bad days in general are going to wind up because oh, this yeah. is one of the better ones. Yeah. Uh, Ridley's Ridley's is the, was the best. The penguin one I think was the best, but this one, this was in the top half. Two face one is pretty good. The clay face one is pretty good. The race. one, Okay. Maybe not the top half. But it does. It does. This does not bode well for where these in general are going to wind up. Mm, and that Riddler book is going to be way, way, way down. Yes. But we won't have to worry about those for a while. Thank God, because that's it for this week. Next week, we're finally reading Under the Hood and two more stories about Jason Todd. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers: Dan Grote, Josh Wheel. Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum, Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Go Utes, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, 
Bobby Two Bucks. Tim Rooney, Giorgio Sergioli, David Wheel, Alexander Wheel, Matt McThorne, and Dan McThorny for their and Dan Over for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for the next couple weeks while there still is a Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and at comics6f.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash batchat with Matt and Will, where you can get shout outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at mattlast 1013 And I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm never leaving, but I'm leaving the show. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com, at ComicsXF on Twitter, for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat Books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark. <laughs>